0: Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes, or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Morse, and with me today I have Steve Drummond. Hello. How do you do? Very good, very good.
1: Can you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, um, my name's Steve, I run Electrogenic. Electrogenic is, uh, what do we do here? We develop EV drivetrains. Uh, we're famous for putting those into classic cars, um, but we also develop drivetrains for a number of other other uses. Mm.
0: And we are at base today. Um, how did this all? How did this all begin? How did you? Have you been involved in automotive all your life, or found it later on?
1: Yeah, I have not actually. So uh, my background is as an engineer. So I started off in uh, nuclear design, um, and have been through most aspects of the power industry actually, and a lot of renewables and, and that sort of okay. thing. So I've been working in one aspect or another of green energy for 20, 30 years now. Um, Way got into cars really was thinking well for the first time it was becoming possible to build an ev that you'd actually want to own Um, and that led us to buy some parts realized that we didn't really like the parts to make the parts instead Um, and then (laughs) fast forward six years to today and we have this big technology suite uh, of all sorts of products that uh, go into all sorts of vehicles
0: interesting and I know before before this, you, you've been involved, you're saying you've been involved in a lot of energy based things, and particularly green. Is that is that the alongside? Why why did you pick cars? are You have been a car fan
1: forever, or technology? More of a motorbike guy, to be Again. fair. Um, why cars? Is because I've always been interested in sustainability. Mm-hmm. Just from the point of view, is it's obvious common sense. You know, why waste stuff when you don't need to? Yeah. Um, resources are limited. Best to use them to best effect. Yeah. Um, if you look at the the future moving forwards, um, impact of climate change, looking for fossil free ways of making the world work in a nice, comfortable way in the way the way we'd like it to work. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Transport is a big part of the equation. So I've done a lot on the generation side. Um, I'm also involved on the energy efficiency side in domestic settings through other other enterprises I'm involved in. Um, but the the big unsolved problem was transport. And so that's why it was, it was interesting. Uh, so it's, I've always been interested in in, the techn- in new technology, in ways of doing things in a new way, how to um, how to sort of advance um, knowledge, if you like. Um, and uh, yeah, so EVs seemed to be the next thing. And so started looking into it, realised that it really was possible to actually um, start to make something pretty cool and, and then got deeper and deeper and deeper involved.
0: <laughs> and, and when you joined the space, were there other people in it?
1: Yeah, the, the, the pioneering stuff was done in the States, actually. So when we first Started thinking about this, I went over to the States and uh, to see what they were doing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's 60 years ago. A lot has changed in six years.
0: Hmm. Yeah, what like this? Can you give me some basic examples of sort of where we've got gone from? And, but I know where yeah. we've to.
1: So, so, so we develop our own sort of EV drivetrain systems. What that means in practice is that, so if your Ford's. Um, For example, you want to design a car, what you do is you go buy a motor from a motor manufacturer an inverter from an inverter manufacturer, et cetera, et cetera. You sort all your components and then you tie those all together with the mechanical engineering design and also the control systems. So your VCU software, all of that. So we're doing the same thing. Um, If you rewind six years ago... Uh, there weren't really any components because right. the whole sort of automotive electric vehicle thing was only just getting going and, and the big manufacturers be- were behind the curve. And so then all of their suppliers weren't producing the product either. So so the, the big thing that's changed in the last six years is the availability of components. So, you know, we make our own drivetrains, we do all of our design integration, it's our own software, but we don't manufacture motors. We don't manufacture battery modules. We don't, we're not chemists. Um, and so, those things, uh, the availability and the variety and the capability of, of those things has changed beyond all recognition in the last six years. Mm.
0: Is that a challenge that you, well, it's, it's, I imagine this is a challenge like moving forward? Because you look how f- much everything's changed in 10 years, and you're, whether it's dev- designing a package for a car now or designing a package for a car in three years' time. How do you keep pace with the technology changes and how everything's evolving so fast?
1: So uh, we're in the industry, so we're very much plugged into what's going on, um, and it's, it's it's what we like to do. So, so, so we're we're sort of really interested in the new developments and what's coming through. Um, so uh, and also actually a lot of it is because we are challenged with new applications. We have people coming to you know, so we so. We develop drivetrains for converting existing vehicles, so a range of them, Classics and others. Um, but also then we're increasingly redesigning drivetrains for um, car manufacturers, the small ones, um, who don't have that in-house capability, um, and also for the military. And um, so those customers bring us challenges and then we're looking for technology to be able to deliver um, exactly what they want in terms of you know, power, torque, Um how the drivetrain's organised, uh, price point, of course, if it's a production vehicle, all of that sort of thing. Um, so there's always continual challenges and continual ways to, and also to simplify what we're doing. So we might, for example, at the moment we're going through a, a, a change in the battery modules we're using because we're trying to simplify our design. Mm-hmm. Um so certain vehicles where the, the finished battery box is bigger, we can use bigger modules inside that reduces the number of bus bars we need to manufacture, um, reduces overall costs. You know, our, our, our long-term aim is to obviously reduce costs in real time, in, in real terms, so that the price of the product comes down. Yeah. And so it's continual innovation like that and, and making sure we take advantage of what is out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and was there a plan or and the strategy from the very beginning to... to End up sort of going down these the various avenues you've got, or has it, you <laughs> sort of really. worked it out as, <laughs> as demand and such has happened along the way.
1: Yeah, so I, originally, actually, we 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 were started we started off B two B originally, um, and uh, but shortly after we hired, we, we did a whole load of R and D for a, for a few, for a two three years, built some cars. Um, and, uh, picked up some, some industrial customers and then hired some people. And then, uh, two weeks later we had the first lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <Dull>. so, yeah, <laughs> the timing's everything. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, and our corporate customers ran away. So what we did was we, uh, paid a little bit more attention to our website, um, set out our store B2C, found individual customers who wanted their cars converted, um, developed tech to convert their cars, um. And then the cumulative effect of that has been that, um, first of all, we've been challenged to do a lot of different things in big varieties from a Citroen DS, which has a, its hydropneumatic pneumatic suspension. So we yeah. had to develop an electric pumping system for that, um, to a little old Morris Minor, which isn't that complicated, but actually its suspension isn't great, so you have to really minimize weight. And, and the customer wanted to be able to drive to Wales um, on a charge okay. and um, you multiply through all the different vehicles uh, we, we, we developed um, with the help of Innovate UK um, during the pandemic um, uh, a system for, for farmers to retrofit a Land Rover um, but the idea is at, at a very low cost so building down to a price, so very simplified technology, um, so they get a three year payback on, on diesel savings if they, if they fit the kit um, so it, it's been a Big variety variety of, of, of challenge, if you like, and then um, we filmed all those things, put them on YouTube, put them on the socials, and so our brand has grown. Um, and then more industrial customers getting to know who we are through that, and and then, so the industrial side of it's now coming back quite strongly.
0: Has the has the sort of customer changed throughout the years? So I guess initially, yeah, m- maybe more sort of evangelical People that are like, I just want to do an EV conversion. I love tech, I love EV, et cetera. And then, presumably, the farmers, that's I imagine
1: they're not necessarily that. Um, farmers are absolutely pragmatic, hard nose. <laughs> am I going to save money? Yeah. How long is it going to take to pay it back? Um, can I get it cheaper? <laughs> it's very straightforward conversation. Um, <laughs> on, yeah, probably our early our early customers were all pretty much all people, um, perhaps a little bit older owned their car for a while, um, wanted to give um, the old sort of family car a new lease of life, or had always dreamed of it being, a lot of them always dreamed of it being electric. Um, And now as a possibility. For the first time ever, it's possible. So these are our our sort of early customers. Um, and, And that category of perhaps an older customer who's had a car for a while and and now wants to give it a new lease of life. That, that's, that's a continuing sort of um, group, if you like. Um, the new group that's grown up, particularly over the last couple of years, is perhaps younger, professional, um, like the idea of it being green, probably lives in London, um, is looking at ULES charges, thinking, you know, I'd really like to have a, a, quite a, a cooler. Uh, I like that, yeah. I want to go EV. I don't want to pay you less charges. Um, but I don't really want to buy an, uh, I want to, I want a, I want a car that I want, yeah. And so, and may also actually always fancy the classic car, but I um, don't fancy the inconvenience of keeping it on the road. Um, and so then they'll go out and buy a car in order to converse it. So they'll talk to us about what car yeah. should I buy, and we say, well, anything you like, really. But, uh, if you want to, Nine Eleven, 11 I go down this route or, or whatever it is. Um, and uh, and then they buy the car and then we converse it.
0: Now, I think that neatly comes into something that we've had a bit of conversation earlier about one of the things and one of the sort of criticisms I've come across from, I'm not going to say petrolage because I think that's the car people in that space um, has been around taking a classic car that doesn't get driven much and then putting in a battery pack and... The sort of CO two payback of that, if the car doesn't get driven very much, um, like why would you do it? Is it green? Is there any point doing it? Um, we talked a little bit about this, but can you cover some of your thoughts? Yeah, around sure. That? I mean,
1: I, I think generally speaking, the sort of people that say that is it's, it's a slightly synthetic response because it's spurious, right? So the argument, the, the, it's it's like it's it's making the argument that you shouldn't drive your car much which is fine, but then what's it for? You may as well scrap it, crush it. What's the point in having a car that you never use? right? So if you're going to use it, then make it EV because it's reliable. Um, it won't not only start and get you to the pub, it'll get you back again. Um, and uh, if you're going to use your car, then, um, then the EV is a greener option. Um, even more so. So what we tend to find is our customers not only just drive their new electric um, converted uh, classic vehicle. Now and again, they it turns it into a daily driver. And so what you're actually doing in that, that example of you and the sort of you, Les, I want an EV, but I want one my way. Um, what you're actually doing is avoiding the manufacture of a whole new EV. Yeah. And, and then you really are saving you know, in train emissions etc 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 so um, it, it depends what you want to measure but uh, yeah so our customers are corporates who uh, particularly with land Rovers for land management all that sort of thing um, you know they're just doing it on the economics and and they're saving that they they have CSR um, objectives um, but also they're saving money on diesel yeah. um, and maintenance uh, you know, some particular vehicles that we convert, you know, have very high maintenance. Yeah, have have, for example, gearboxes which cost a lot to, which get worn out quickly, cost a lot to maintain. Yeah, we, we replace that. So you, you you a lot of avoided costs. Um. Our our individual customers tend to end up driving the car a lot, and a lot of our customers use their classic EV as a daily driver. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's and, and I hadn't really thought about that side of it, but. As you as you brought that up and we talked a little bit about earlier, like I, I have a little EV, but I also have a stupid E sixty three estate. And if I didn't have the EV, I, what I found is as soon as I got the EV, I drove that in town all the time, and we do five thousand miles in that a year. If I put those five thousand miles on my E sixty three, slightly different experience, whatever, but drove it around town, I'd get I don't know fourteen mpg. So yeah. you're you are actually offsetting if it's you're taking one and then doing the other yeah. you're offsetting an insane amount versus driving a very inefficient car yeah. around town which i hadn't really thought of as a thing but now every time i drive that i go not only there're no tailpipe emissions or that sort mm. of thing but also i'm not driving what i would be driving which would be significantly worse yeah so that is an interesting an interesting side on it um at, from the very beginning do you accept if someone, any car, if someone says, I want you to convert, I don't know, something that you've not done before, mm-hmm. if you just approach it and we'll work it out, yeah, let's do it. Or if you tried to sort of go, let's find a range of models
1: that we do. Um, <laughs> we've basically taken the approach that we'll do any car, more or less within reason. Uh, partly that was the pandemic. And so we we're happy to have the work. Yeah. Um, now we are perhaps slightly more directed um so the way the business the, the the classic conversion business now is evolving for us is that you know we're limited in the number of cars that we can do ourselves by our physical premises yeah um and also we have a global audience and, and we have inquiries from all over the place and so what we're doing now is we're packaging you know with deep experience in, in particular models um so we're packaging our tech into um very sophisticated drop-in kits literally two or three units that you bolt in and yeah. then all you do is you know bolt on the prop shaft um or however the drain drive train is and then um wire up the dashboard and away you go um we're distributing those through um, partner installers all over the world at the moment we're focusing on developing our network in the uk and the, and the usa but we, we have conversations going in a lot of places um and that enables us to do exports, and so then we, when we come back to the bespoke business, which we'll carry on doing because it, it, it's it's great because it challenges us to do new things all yeah. the time. Um, we sort rather rather naturally um, prefer to do either sort of big iconic vehicles, um, which will get a lot of attention, obviously, or um, vehicles where we think there's going to be a lot of demand. Um, so, for example, there's a DeLorean down there that we're um, converting. Um, I think there might, yeah, you know, DeLorean engines are a bit naff, really. I think there might be a lot of demand for a DeLorean conversion, partly because it's got a bad engine, partly because it sort of screams to be electric, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the future. So, yeah. so um, there's an example of a car we're delighted to do as a bespoke conversion yeah. because from that, um, we'll get to really understand the car. We'll have all of the scans, all of the designs all worked out. Um, and then we can produce a kit that can be installed by one of our partners
0: and these, these kits when you put them in the car um, do um, are most of the cars you work on are they all the same as in when you you put the kit and you look in and you go <laughs> yeah that, that measures that that measures that
1: across
0: yeah. them or are there some some brands in cars yeah, yes that are just and no. a nightmare
1: <laughs> yes or no um, <laughs> we've never come across a Land Rover Defender which has the chassis rails exactly the same part <laughs> distance apart as, a, as, as another one um, so so for example, for the Land Rover Defender kit, um, the, the way we do that is we have a an adjustable um, mounting tray um, that bolts into the chassis on existing bolt points, um, and uh, but it accommodates the the slight changes in in, in production. Yeah, um, and then our tech bolts directly to that, so that it's yeah we have to design around some of the historical um, variants variations really.
0: And what is the process like? from sort of, yeah, start to finish. If someone comes and says, I want to, let's do the, the bespoke yeah. process versus the, the sort of drop-in.
1: So uh, first of all, you sit down with a customer and say, well, how do you want to use your car? How do you want to drive it? Um, what do you want from this? You know, you want, you, want to, you want to be a sprinter. You want to do long range. You, how, how do you drive it? What's it for? Um, purpose of that is to um, size the motor so we're getting the right power and torque um, that's, you know, to, to enable the car to do what you want it to do. Um, we would counsel um, customers not to go overboard. You know, our idea is to, the way we like to approach things, is to, to make the car a better version of itself. You know, so Citroën DS is a great example of a car where... Um, It was always right from birth given the wrong engine because of French emissions categories and blah, blah. So um, we give it the power and torque it perhaps should have had. Um, And then in terms of range, your range is more batteries um, or fewer batteries and very strongly um, advise the customer to go easy on the range because... Um, what you don't want to do is, is weigh, put too many batteries in, weigh the car down and change the way it handles. So typically um, you, you'll find that the car is its original curb weight, plus or minus 60 to 100 kilos. You know, so our, Okay, not much different, yeah. No, so the, the E-Type that you drove in today, for example, that's net 90 kilos lighter than the original. It's a bit heavier at the back, so it's better traction, a bit lighter at the front, so it it's, uh, steers nicely. Other cars, maybe 60 kilos more, so it's the weight of a small child. So it's not material in the context of the car. The car will still handle the same way. Yeah. And that's really important. So then you've got um, your basic design, which is um, you get your motor, that sets the voltage. Um, then you have various battery combinations you can put in to get to that voltage, that and number of battery modules, which is sort of you can It's not variable. No, it's not too variable. And that gives you your kilowatt hours, max kilowatt hours, that link will give you the range according to the the, the weight and the aerodynamics of the vehicle. Um, and then it's about um, what do you want the vehicle to do. Uh, so the control systems allowed us to develop um, different profiles for um, eco and sport and, and hill descent and traffic and all those things. So, yeah. so there's that big conversation about how. Um, you want to use and drive the car, that then develops into a specification. Then um, car comes in, we scan it, so we have all the drive lines, so the original drive lines for the, for the drive shafts, et cetera, so that we make sure everything's going back in exactly the same place. And then we take all, out all the bits we don't need, so the engine, uh, sometimes the gearbox, so we do conversions with a manual box. Some customers right. want to have that active driving experience, so that's something we can give them. Um, obviously don't need the fuel tank don't need the exhaust so we take those parts out um, then scan this gain. and then we have the the whole of the available space um, digitally inside the inside the CAD um, then we do um, from, from the initial discussions we, we, we produce a sort of high architect engineering sort of concept of where the battery's going a charger all of these things to make the weight right um, make the cooling system uh, as compact as possible so you're not you know you don't have airlocks airlocks bleeding a cooling system between the front and the back of the car and, and how we're going to yeah. in, into how, we, how we're going to deal with the brakes all this stuff so that goes into the CAD um, come up with a design then that's then checked by our electrical guys make sure that there's enough physical space in the battery box um, to make sure that the because according, again according to the architecture the way you are at the battery modules inside the box, changes um so making sure that inside the box you've got the right um worry so you can hook up the uh, bus bus to the batteries in the right way get all battery management systems in um so all of that then a big sign-off process for all the design process um then we'll cut metal um test fit empty boxes um and uh, and transmissions um make sure everything fits um sometimes it doesn't um because as much as anything scan accuracy over sort of a large area, like a, like a, you know, the void where yeah. the engine was is, is, yeah, we need accuracy to within, you know, 0.2, 0.3 mil. And in reality is sometimes it can be a couple of mils out. So you do yeah. adjustments. Um, and then, uh, any adjustments you make to the bare boxes goes back into the CAD. So then we have all of that safe for next time. um, Everything's right. You then send things off for powder coating, and then you build up uh, all of the physical matching modules, bus bars, all of that physical electronics in. Um, bolt everything in, and then there's an electronics commissioning procedure, so that um, you progressively test all the systems individually, and then you test them as a block. And then you you um, you RPM limit the motor, and then you test the motor. Um, with the wheels off the floor, and then you test it with the wheels on the floor. Um, so it does its first drive, and then you do a commissioning process to go through and prove everything. Um, and then if it's a first vehicle, um, you also then do a lot of calibrating. So we do a whole bunch of driving, and we adjust um, the responsive the adjust the way that the motor and the controller responds to driving style, to the weight of the vehicle to the aerodynamics of the vehicle yeah. and make and give control modes that reflect what the customer is trying to achieve but actually then delivering that electronically and then the other part that I forgot <laughs> right going back to the beginning also um, we'll have a, a visual design context so it's very important for us that the cars look good because um, the customer's, you know, changing their vehicle, um, and they want to be able to 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 have it look it yeah, you know, to reflect, you know, the 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 care and attention they put into yeah. it technically and they're specifying everything and wants it wants to to visually reflect that as well.
0: So then most of the like the bespoke ones, are they all
1: full restorations as well or Usually not. serious so, restorations? So we don't do the restoration work here. Um, it's a service we can provide and do provide for some customers. So we project manage. So we um, you know good painters, good bodywork people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we will, um, if a customer wants us to. So we'll essentially project management. So we'll take the car in, um, and then we'll organise. And we've done quite a number of those full refurbs, um, bare metal restorations, uh, new paint colours, you know, complete new upholstery, yeah. all of that. So we can do that. Yeah.
0: Cause I know it's it's a problem with any classic car but if you're specifically if you're operating stuff but just generally a car comes in the door unless you blast everything back to zero how do you know what's underneath how do you know that you've got a yeah. solid structure how do you approach that
1: so car comes in we do uh, we've we got a, a, a car acceptance um, process procedure um check the seals and 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 the brakes and all of those things we we very much prefer to have a car drive in so that we can drive it and and see what we think about suspension the brakes and so on um before we take it apart um doesn't always happen um very often if there's a restoration involved the car will come to us uh with no with no engine um so, which is then we just need to deal with. Um, the other, uh, the other thing I should have said is when the car comes in, we put it on. The important is we put it on the corner weights. So the way a car balances is important to the way it drives. Not to say that we wouldn't change that, but we change it consciously rather than yeah. unconsciously. We want to know what it is. Um, so yeah, we we check it all over for all points check, and then we'll say to the customer, you know, you really need to. Um, change the brakes because the calipers are all yeah. gone to hell and, you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's a process.
0: And with moving weight around the vehicle in different ways, putting, you know, different elements, that weigh way different amounts to original, is there any re-engineering of the substructures and stuff?
1: No, because going back to sort of deciding how we do the, the overall yeah. specification of the car, we're always making sure that we're not putting lots of extra weight in. Um, apart from the military Land Rovers, but yeah, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, so for example, with the E Type, um, we've taken about a hundred net. We've taken about one hundred twenty kilos out of the front, um, and net we've added thirty kilos at the back. Now, the It's criti- not that much. <laughs> not that much. It, it, it makes a difference actually because the criticism of the. Yeah, the classic thing with an E-Type is they they wrap themselves around trees because um, the back end's really light. That's where all the power is. People lose it on corners and spin off and bang. Um, And uh, so we've redressed the balance a bit. Um, Not so much as it still doesn't drive like an E-Type, but you definitely get the power down better and it's lighter on its feet, which is nice. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Has the the batteries, like the way they come now versus – I know you can get them in like – they're built out of like packs versus – you get two types can't you you can have the little cylinder jobbies yeah and then build up or you can have sort of packs as that as that's evolved has that made it easier or different to split stuff up and can you just split batch packs up and move them around the
1: car and put them in different places and things yeah we can so um what we tend to do is we buy modules so this is uh typically it's like the size of a small shoebox. inside that are either the little pen cells or pouches mm. depends which manufacturer depends what terminal voltage what kilowatt hour storage inside the, the unit but but this is a calb it's called calb it's a calb um sort of format if you like a standard car industry format and you can get different terminal voltages different um kilowatt hour storages but same physical um same physical size um same physical bolt patterns okay um and so then and that's the 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 most cost effective way uh for us to to buy batteries. Um if we went of course we could if manuf- we could buy little pen cells and manufacture our own, but that's expensive and um not really warranted for what we're doing. Yeah. So we have those modules and then what we have is is a number of sophisticated systems for um mounting those in different configurations because they're designed to be bolted down to a flat surface underneath the car floor in a new EV. Um, and we don't have that luxury, so we've got to put them in a box or two boxes um, in different parts of the vehicle. So um, we have a system to be able to mount those in in different orientations but also make the assembly of the battery box um, straightforward. So um, that's the part of our internal sort of tech development.
0: Yeah, I know with modern EVs, it's all about putting the, the battery generally low and in the middle of the car in a big, strong structure, although... I think they're now starting to become part of the structure, yeah. but in in the view of if you have an accident or something, the battery it's harder for the battery packs to get damaged. What sort of safety things have you put in the cars to sort of help with basically not turning the whole car live and all those sorts of things?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, basically, our conversion is is, is is exactly the same tech as a as a brand new EV, right? So and, and it, it's it's multiple nested approaches. Um, there's all the software systems which control the car, um, figure out if something untoward is going on and shut it down. Um, if if you, that's the overall management system. But if you if you build from the bottom up, from inside the batteries outwards, um, then there are a number of subsystems that are doing their own thing anyway. Whatever the VCU is doing, and we'll take over and we'll stop the car. So, um, so inside the battery bolts you have um, a sophisticated battery management system. What that's doing is it's making sure that the voltage of all of the cells within the whole battery pack that's all balanced, so that um, all the cells are going up and down um, in concert. Um, make sure that they're all within their proper voltages and so on, that the battery, so the battery, stays nice and comfortable and in its, its preferred operating environment. Um, and so, and that's monitored by a series of microprocessors. And if anything looks out of whack, it'll it, it, it's, uh, it'll it's it build up a number of tally points and then um, if it thinks, okay, there's too much of this, it'll signal the driver, you know, pull over and stop.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
1: And then there'll be a fault code that we can interpret, and so on.
0: How does it do that? Does it sort of reduce yeah. power drastically, or something? Um,
1: it depends, but usually a lights on the dashboard. Yeah. And then if if the owner ignores it, it'll it'll start to reduce power. And it's a safety system; never, yeah, you know, under normal circumstances, never get used. I mean, the, the most obvious time when that would come into play would be is if you're simply driving and driving and driving and ignoring all the signals. You know, you'll get a warning light that comes that starts. Blinking when you've got twenty percent of the battery left and when yeah. you've got ten percent left it'll start it'll go on red. Um and then it'll it, you know, you should be pulling over and, and then it'll it'll start limiting power. So it put essentially it automatically puts you into eco mode and then it'll be more more severe than that. So it, it manages you so that you cannot take the battery down too low because it's actually done like that. Yeah. Um on, on the so you were talking about um you know for crashes that sort of thing so the other the other part of the battery management system is that there's temperature sensors in there um so if there's anything untoward going on with battery um it it sees elevated temperature or shut down all use of the battery so there's no power going through it um the next level is that batteries inside battery modules are inside of e box um steel box um the steel box the the terminals are tamper proof so the plus and minus coming out of the box so they're tamper proof um UN um certified uh, boxes uh terminals um so you can't get if even if you even if you undo it you can't get your fingers in there um so that's another level but inside the box you have two contactors so that anyway unless the vcu has gone through all of its checks to make sure everything's fine it's not supplying electricity right, okay. to the terminals so even if you could get your fingers into the tamper-proof things, so anywhere there's no electricity there. Um, there's a thing called HVIL, which is a it essentially checks to make sure that um, all of the uh, all of the connectors are connected fully. Because if you have a connector that's not properly connected for for whatever reason, um, it can get hot, yeah. a bit of resistance. So it checks for that if things aren't connected properly. It, the car won't go. You have a crash switch, so if there's a crash, again, car won't go. Um, so you, you have a whole bunch of nested systems.
0: Yeah, it would be quite nice to have those actually in
1: a petrol car. Like fuel is leaking, by the way. Just, yeah. just FYI. Oh yeah, oh, of course, yeah. And then of course, that's another thing. So if electricity is leaking, um, theoretically impossible, but you never know. So there's another system that monitors um, if there's any... So, so the HV it's a closed system, so it's not like you know people th- sometimes think because if you have got your twelve volt system in your car, the um, the car body is often used as a return path. Obviously, yeah. not happening in the HV side of things. Um, but if there's any leakage between the HV side of things and the side of the battery box or any part of the car, for example, again shuts the system off. Okay. Um, so it's it's a lot of systems. Yeah, but
0: yeah. It sounds like it sounds like it's. Being thought about and yeah. rapidly evolving. Is there lots of legislation around what you have to do now and that but, sort of thing? Or the
1: answer is yes and no. Um, there is no specific legislation for converting cars. Um, there's less legislation for building new ones. Um, there's two parts. Two UN. Um, there, there were the European regulations adopted adopted by the UN. UN ones called R100.01. So all of our and that's about electrical safety. So that's about. Um, checking resistance between live parts and and, and and the rest of the car, all yeah. that sort of thing. So it's a whole series of, of, of special checks. Um, so all of our kits comply with that, for example. Um, R100.02 is about crash testing EVs. So, so we're not crash testing our customers' cars, so we're yeah. not not doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then the in terms of... Rules for converting cars, they're different in every country. So we just comply with local rules. So, UK DVLA has rules for converting, you know, you might put a Mazda engine in a Trans yeah. Spitfire, same rules. So, so, we have the same thing. So, there's not a, there isn't a there's no specific this, thing, no.
0: Is that tricky when you're starting to send stuff abroad or to be installed in different countries and stuff that actually each country has their own different
1: relations? Yeah, regulations. It, it, it makes it. <laughs> It's complex. Um, so in the States, for example, um, the rules are you can more or less do anything you like, but it has to be done in the States. So, <laughs> Obviously. Um, yeah, so, so hence we make the kits. The kits get shipped over to our in- partner installer in the States. Uh, so then the conversion work's done there, so fine. Um, in France, uh, the rules are more or less that um, it can't go faster than the original, which okay. is, is a shame. <laughs> For a 2CV, yeah. for example, <laughs> yeah. it's a big shame for a 2CV. Um, if you're a conversion shop in the in France, then the first one you do of a particular vehicle needs to be homologated, which is just one of those things. Um, but the other thing is that the work has to be done in France. So, give okay. la difference. So, um, those are the rules in France. So, uh, for France, if somebody wants our tech, it needs to be installed in France. Um, and the rules are different. In every country, the rules are different. Um, just depends.
0: Yeah, so I guess, it, and it makes more sense the more of a single car you've done because they've done one, they're now allowed to do another. Or yeah. in in your sense, is it kit based or is it car based? For let's say
1: you've sent it to France, that is a good question. And there are the other set of regulations that we need to deal with is uh, UN thirty eight point three, um, which is about the transport of. Batteries.
0: Okay. So if we manufacture oh, yeah. a
1: kit here, then we're sending it to the states, for example, then we have to comply with UN legislation for transporting it because it's a battery. Um, and that's obviously a big point of debate with the authorities that we're having at the moment, which is, you know, we've got three different defender kits. Um, so, so the way you comply with UN 38.3 is you spend about £100,000. You pay somebody eighty to £100, to £100,000 to... Drop three of your battery boxes, which cost you £150,000, onto a concrete floor and see what happens, right? Right, okay. It's not sophisticated. There's a quarter million pound just gone, right? So you, when you get the certificate, does that apply to, you know, we do three different Defender models. That's it. Yeah, they're all <laughs> slightly it apply different. To, all slightly different, but, you know, and, and so, yeah, that's a, it's a, good, it's a good question. And obviously, we have a point of view which is that they're all the same, so just do it once, please.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just, I, I heard about one, I don't know whether, whether this is a new vehicles thing or a different thing, about a test where you have to put a battery pack on some fuel, basically, and set it on fire for, it's quite a long time, and it has, the battery pack has to survive.
1: They're talking about bringing in a UN um, r 10003 um, and there's a lot of discussion about what will be, in that um, last time, we were down at Millbrook, and um, we were putting a car through our 100, having it independently verified. Yeah. Um, they were doing some of the um, sort of research work, if you like, for the the maybe new regulation. What they were doing was they were drilling a hole in the size of side of a battery box, then. <laughs> retiring to a safe distance, firing a six inch nail into it and seeing what happened. <laughs> so, and, and so one of the things is, for example, um, that it needs to give you X number of minutes before it goes boom to get out the yeah. car. So, yeah, so
0: yeah, you fall off a cliff, roll down a hill, yeah, Hallam before it explodes. Yeah, exactly.
1: Everywhere. Yeah. So that's the regulations that they're talking about.
0: What are they trying to do know, in terms of transporting batteries? Because there's been quite a few, say, high-profile ships disappearing with battery fires, mm. transporting people's expensive cars. Um, are they are they now changing processes around transporting cars? Because obviously, you don't want a big boatload of cars I mean, that, to go that's the what UN
1: <UN38.3> 38.3 is about. The question is, why do batteries catch fire? Yeah. either they've been significantly mechanically damaged penetrated basically you've got something sharp that's gone into the vitals of the battery or it's been abused electrically um, and if it's abused electrically then you can start off a little chemical process that will fizz away and then, um, and then start a chain reaction much later so the trick is buying batteries from the manufacturer, brand new, um, or, you know, some customers prefer second-hand batteries for, um, for CSR reasons, um, but they do a full battery test. So We, we basically test every single battery that comes in here. We test anyway, whether it's new or not, um, and just make sure that the, that the whole thing's fine before you put it in the car. And that, that's the biggest safety thing that you can do. Other thing to say about that aspect of batteries is it's changing because battery chemistry is changing. Mm. Um, so we we experiment with different sorts of battery tech. Um, so there's a, so one thing that we've been playing with is battery tech called lithium titanate, LTO. Um, it's not used in the cars at the moment uh, because it's about, um, for a given kilowatt hour storage, it's about 1.4 times the volume and weight. Okay. So, and what, why would Cars, you do that? Yeah, yeah. You just get a lower range, right? So, yeah. um, but you can do what you like to an LTO battery. It's never going to catch fire, okay? Unless you, if you if you set a fire underneath it, eventually, yes. But you know, but it's not. You can you can penetrate it. You can machine gun it. You can um, you can electrically abuse it. It's not going to catch fire. Um, now, to Toshiba, for example, um, so. We work with them. Um, they're saying that in 2025, um, they're going to have commercially available... They're the kings of LTO. They're going to have a commercially available um, an LTO battery, which is the same uh, energy density and the same price point as today's lithium-ion battery. So that's pretty That's pretty interesting, not just from that sort of perspective, um, but also because... A lot of the reason you put in the big thermal management and all the complicated systems which add dead weight and complexity and money um, is for fast charging. Right. And so an LTO battery, you don't need any of that stuff. You just charge it quickly. Oh, okay. Um, so then you've got a prospect of a car Check that you can right recharge out, in 15 yeah. minutes and hey, then that's actually a game changer.
0: Yeah, because one of the... I, I know I, initially when I first come across EVs, I was like, okay, surely you just like plug it in and you've whatever you're getting... Hundred kilowatts. It's just going to fill up at hundred kilowatts until the amount of seconds that you've calculated yeah, that yeah, it should take. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, it's significantly more complicated than that. And there's loads yeah. of algorithms around charging curves and the way you charge a battery. Yeah. Um, is I, did, I didn't know until recently that when you plug into an electric charger and it doesn't work, it's not necessarily the charger.
1: Yeah, yeah, it could be the car. It could be anything. Yeah, could be all
0: sorts of stuff. Yeah. How does that, how does that work in terms of like in your cars, for example? If someone plugs in and it doesn't work, or what are the common issues that stop things charging?
1: Um, why are things not charged? Whole combination of issues. Actually, the common one for us um, is that some people. Well, it's, it's a classic airport one where you leave your car um, on the airport for four weeks and come back, it won't charge, won't start. The reason is because the 12-volt batteries wound right, down, yeah. right? So in order for the car to go, you need to connect those two little contactors in the battery box to um, allow the electricity out of the battery box uh, so it can go to the motor so your car can drive away. Um, to do that, you need 12 volts. And if you, you know, left your if left the whole system on um, and, you know, you've got to drain because you want to keep your radio um, memory pre-charged and you've got a physical clock because it's yeah. a classic car, blah, 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 blah. In four weeks, you know, you can run your 12-volt battery down. So that's one reason. Um, so we put a little override switch. So if you're really leaving the car, you can switch the 12 volts off. You'll lose your memory on your um, on your radio, but you'll be able to drive off when you arrive back in the morning. Okay. Um, what, what the Type 2 charger does is it initiates a conversation between the charge point and the car. And so it says, "Charge." this is the capacity of the charge point, this is the capacity of the cable, um, this is the capacity of the car, um, Is and then the battery management system in the car then... Determines how much electricity, it and at what rate it will take from the charge point. Right. The charge point doesn't chuck it in. It charge point has it there available, and the car uses it. Um, so if there's a, if there's a another charging issue, the next the next most common one is that actually not the car, it's that you've got a weird charger. So there's a standard. It's called EU Type Two, and that. Determines the communication protocols between in those systems, yeah. yeah, and it's possibly the worst written standard in the history of oh, I don't know. So the, the thing is, it's hugely open to interpretation. So, for example, Nissan Leafs couldn't plug into any of the eco-tricity charge points early on, and the reason is because eco-tricity had read the standard interpreted it in one way, Nissan had read the standard, interpreted it another, and the two wouldn't talk to each other. Um, and so with our charging systems, um, you know, we've been doing it long enough. We, we've seen most things. Um, we still very occasionally get, if somebody has a, a complex programmable charge point on their house, which is also... Managing the solar and uncharged yeah. batteries, and they've organised in a certain way. Um, then there can be interface issues. But you know, you go with a laptop, you do a diagnosis, sort it out, and once it's sorted, it's sorted.
0: Okay. And is that evolving the
1: the standards? No. which <laughs> is what it is. It's it, it stuck now. It can't evolve because if it did evolve, then all the charge points have already been connector. installed, and all the cars already been there. Yeah, that they wouldn't work. So that's the trouble. It's just that,
0: yeah. Is that in America? Has Ford just said they're going to a Tesla, which is not a Type Two? In America,
1: I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, which it's a cooler it's it's a cooler thing, right? So so Tesla looks like the Tesla charge point looks like a Type Two, but the Type Two just does AC so fast charging. Yeah, doesn't do DC rapid charging. So in Europe, the Type Two and all the European Teslas get fitted with this now. You you get CCS type two. So it's got that, yeah. it's got those little, the round thing plus those two big, um, the two bulbous charge points on the bottom, which yeah. is basically a BMW design. Um, now, Tesla um, is able to do the DC charging through a thing that looks just like a type two. So it's much smaller and more elegant. Um, for us, that's lovely because. The number one issue for us with uh, ccs charging which is sort of it's standard on fitting like, it i guess it's finding somewhere to fit the socket yeah i mean the car you drove today actually has got a us yeah. um, type one charger in it because it's going off overseas but uh, the yeah some cars the petrol flaps big enough and other cars isn't and we have to find somewhere else for it
0: yeah in general terms it sounds like absolute carnage like we need one standard if the U.S. standard is that's well, yeah, it's VHS
1: and Be- Betamax, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. but like, um, turning up with one's quite different. One you just put it in, you can't put it in your watch a movie. Yeah. One
1: you can't charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, you don't usually move cars between Europe and the States, so is it practically that's fine? Initially? That's fine. Yeah, I mean the the thing you have seen over the last few years is that there were two. Um, standards for rapid charging, which was Chademo, yeah. and CCS, and Chademo is a, it's a Japanese standard, um, which was you know, the first cars here in Nissan so they fitted with it, and so on, and then Chademo is being phased out, and CCS is becoming the one standard in Europe, for example.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and that's that's all I see,
0: all I use now. Yeah. It, we don't we don't seem it's a problem that the states seem to have is people cutting cables. Oh, I don't know. I don't yeah, know yeah, 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 yeah. That heard sounds about it a bit nice. The other day, which sounds one—they clearly someone worked out that they're not live We now know they're not live because they're not until the cars talk to each other or something. Yeah. But if you're don't know that, you're going to go up to a yeah eight hundred volt cable or whatever it is, yeah, and take some pliers to it. You're a, you're a braver person than me. <laughs> what do you think? Seeing moving forwards, I know you're working on some military stuff. Mm. Um. Do you think we'll see military vehicles being ev a complete switch pretty soon? are there lots of advantages or disadvantages to that
1: yeah the the military see a lot of advantages over a whole range of different uh, for, for lots of different reasons basically um, one is that the overall cycle efficiency of of of, of taking diesel which is u n fuel and it's tr- it's transportable um, and getting and making a vehicle move from a forward operation base into a theatre. Um, it's much more efficient to do that by generating electricity efficiently and putting electricity into the vehicle than it is by putting diesel directly in. You, you, you've got a, a an overall saving about a third of the fuel at your forward operating base. Um, and it takes seven litres of fuel to get one litre of fuel into a forward operating base. And... You know, Three thousand deaths and injuries for the U.S. military, for example, We're just running convoys in Afghanistan, fuel convoys. So, so that's one big thing. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, they're looking forward to new energy, to new weapon systems, um, yeah, directed energy systems, and so on. That requires large ba- mobile batteries, and EV is a mobile battery system. Um, soldiers have increasingly wearable tech. They need to be able yeah. to plug in um, again. Um, they, they they see the they see the vehicle as a mobile battery. So part of the aspect yeah, yeah. for the miniature vehicles is actually to use the vehicle to charge um, a, a mini grid. So um, you know that that ambulance out there, you can boil a kettle and make a cup of tea, um, running off the yeah. main main battery. So for example, um, and then there's the sort of stealth. Obviously, um, you know it's quieter. It's got no heat signature. Um, Big one is driver fatigue, um, so it's much more complicated to be making sure you're in the right gear and you're revving quite the right way to get yourself out of trouble um, off-road in a diesel vehicle, whereas an electric one-pedal it just goes. Yeah. Um, uh, control modes, so we can put control modes in to make hill descents easy. Again, you don't need to think so much; you just switch it and, and carry on dealing with the, the other things that are going on around you. So th- there's a lot of advantages for them, and so. They are really looking in... So, so, But they're at the beginning of that whole sort of thought process and um, so we're helping them, to, so we're making um, trial battlefield vehicles so they can um, develop their ideas and put that into specifications for the next round of R&D and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, because they don't... Military in General, Joan, I know the US Army has just changed or very recently to a new vehicle. Um and then they keep that for who knows forty years or something. Yeah. So is would this be you sort of basically your, your what you guys do? You build a powertrain kit that they would put into existing vehicles, or are they looking at just well a the new idea vehicle? actually
1: is? So if you look at the the main general purpose vehicle, um, it's all a Land Rover base, right? Um, so that's all for just general transport and so on, but also for you know sort of thing the SS driving around Iraq in yeah. um, sort of, you know, armoured versions, um, it's called a WMIC. Um, so now Land Rover stopped making them in 2015. So they, the British military is now looking at a whole new replacement vehicle. Yeah. And so um, EV obviously part of that, the question is how to specify it, how to go about that and so on. Hmm. Um, so that's part of what we're working with them on.
0: And with... You were saying about we have a big battery pack, and then like a conventional EV on the road has a 12 volt battery, and mm-hmm. all the systems run off 12 volt. Yeah. Are, they, are people moving? On? I know Tesla's talked about it, maybe doing a 48 volt system. Is there a world when it's all one in sense? you've got a big battery pack and everything just kind of works off that, is that possible? Or we're we going to need some yeah. inverters mm-hmm. and stuff?
1: But- you've got your big battery pack that runs at whatever. Voltage you're running your motor at, and we think, oh, oh back to the whole specification thing. Yeah. We run part of the vehicle systems at high voltage. So, for example, air conditioning pumps, um, so compressors for air conditioning, um, uh, heaters, those things, much more efficient at high voltage. Right. So, we'll run those at high voltage. Um, military, for example, lots of comms is 24 volt, some 48. Um, so, that's then a, a DC DC conversion down from the main battery voltage to you yeah. your, your operating voltage and then of course all your existing car stuff is made for 12 volts you need that so it's another DC-DC. but um your standard charger comes with all with the 12 volts DC-DC integrated anyway so it's, it's it's a straightforward thing to do
0: yeah and do you think we will see a big change from standard component manufacturers stopping yeah. making 12 volt stuff
1: no <laughs> no because it's 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 so there, embedded. It's done. i mean i know it once upon a time it was six volts but there was reasons for moving away from that there's, there's not a lot of reason to move away from 12 volts for most stuff it's just the high current stuff um and like I say for example compressors and so on you can make them run at, at a main battery voltage anyway
0: yeah, yeah yeah it would be nice if you came back to your car and i think it's, it must have happened to it's happened to me in an EV where the 12 volt battery's dead carry a little jump pack or whatever. It's like it's like the new thing that you have to carry around if you've got an EV. It's like you have to have a little jump pack in case it's cold or whatever or something's gone wrong and you've yeah. got to gotta jump it. Some way of just like pressing a button on the car and it gives it a little, yeah. little boot. Just fill it back up again. Thank you very much. I don't need to carry around a jump pack. Yeah. Get on with our lives. Yeah, you
1: Yeah, we we give people um for vehicles that are going to be used Intermittently, yeah. Customers who travel, for example, um, if they want us to, we can put them in isolation. Switch on the twelve hours. That's the easiest thing. You just switch it off. Yeah, that's it. Um, and then that's it. And then it just sits there until they come back. Yeah, very yeah. simple.
0: Yeah, very much right. Well, I normally wrap these up with five
1: questions. Okay.
0: Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey?
1: Yeah, but it was on a motorbike. That's fine. <laughs> so once upon a time. Me and my friend who's um, Chilean, we, uh, so, you know, there was a while when the Paris Dakar was in um, Chile and Argentina. Yep. So we got our bikes and we followed them across nice. the Atacama and, our, and we slept under a huge Chilean flag, which was um, supported between the two bikes <laughs> in the desert. Um, I had one of the funniest moments of my life when I woke up to see him dancing half in and half out of his sleeping bag because there was a scorpion in there with <laughs> him. You know, it was great. <laughs>
0: That sounds that sounds pretty fun. Are there any other places? Presumably, doing a trip like that on a bike is quite different to doing it in a car.
1: Yeah, yeah, you well, because you're in the you're out there in the elements. I have to say, I love driving that E Type because it's soft top. I'm originally Australian. Nobody has soft top cars in Australia because it's too hot. It's too hot, yeah, yeah. You stop at the lights and you die. Um, but in England, it's lovely. Uh, it it's so nice driving
0: around yeah. in that car earlier, and actually. I didn't really think about it being electric. When for me that sort of drive, it's old enough that I'm like, we've got no seatbelts. Like, I'm not hooning this car around. That's just I'm not interested in dying anytime soon. Um, actually, just cruising around and then cruising around in an EV, and you still have noises of the powertrain and whatever. I, it was it was just nice, perfect day for it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. The, the thing that uh, the that the time when I Really noticed that. So yeah, driving along local country roads, sunny, top down, beautiful, um, overtaking a car um, at 50. And I suddenly realized I could hear the birds singing in the trees. <laughs> and that's because it was an EV and that was the yeah. air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, a,
0: it's a different element, isn't it? It's, a, yeah. it's another experience that's different. And you can, people have multiple cars, people have different experiences. So it's, it's good to try a bit of, bit of everything. If you could only drive one car, sports car, for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: I really like 356, you a know, little Porsche 356. Mm. Um, though having said that, uh, our 964 conversion is really nice. It's really nice. but And it drives... So the 911 conversions we do drive the most like a motorbike of all the cars we do. And what do you mean by that? You... Come around the corner. There's a car in front of you. There's space in front of them. and You put your foot down and you just go boof. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. It's just there, and it's instant and it's fast. And you're the whole off. car's supporting you and you're off. Yeah.
0: Nice. I need to. I need to drive one of these 911 conversions at you some do, point. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the most
1: undervalued car at the moment? What should be worth more? I don't know. T- tell you what. <laughs> so, one of our apprentices just bought a. Big old Volvo, you know, the huge old Volvo estates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For like one and a half grand. It's a really cool car, actually. That is quite that is a cool car. <laughs> yeah. but not a lot of money. But not a lot of money. You can do an awful lot with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, most interesting car to you at the moment?
0: What are you giggling? What are you looking up? What are you researching? Top of your mind.
1: We're just talking to somebody about doing a classic Range Rover, which is... <laughs> straightforward in the sense that all the drivetrains is same as a defender it's yeah. just basically the same as our defender kit except packaged slightly differently um i just love to do one i think they're really cool and i think there's demand for them so that, yeah that's the one i'm looking at
0: do you have to integrate with more interesting suspension systems i guess
1: at that point we're not really adding hardly any net weight and we're distributing a little better so i'm not anticipating any issues Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the 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 real estate under the car is slightly different um, and uh, a Range Rover you want to have good range so we going to look at that but uh, yeah that'd
0: be a cool that would be a great town vehicle
1: yeah it would yeah
0: It'd be very nice uh, five car garage unlimited value
1: I'd like a Citroen XM okay yeah they're cool
0: would you have a daily would that be your daily could be especially if it was electric <laughs> so we get down to one okay fine <laughs> No
1: worries. <laughs> well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve
0: nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at
1: $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,